I want to ask you to start off with is, what do you say to yourself? When you're on your own, what, when you, you speak to yourself, what do you say? Because we all do. We all speak to ourselves. If you've never spoken to yourself, then you're an anomaly. We all have this inner dialogue. And I'm not talking when I'm saying what do you talk about. I'm not talking about the stuff like, I'm going to the shops. Eggs, milk, butter. Eggs, milk, butter. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about post office. Don't forget the post office. Don't forget the post office. I'm not talking about that kind of inner dialogue where you're just trying to kind of remind yourself of things. But what I'm talking about is what do you actually speak to yourself? What do you speak to yourself? And if we're honest, for a lot of us, we speak negativity over ourselves. You see, I've been doing some reading, and the, the brain is kind of hardwired where it seems to take on negativity more than it does positivity. And you'll know that because if you do something and five people say, great job, and one person says, not very good, we all have a tendency to slip towards actually thinking about, well, that one person didn't like it. And so why is the brain wired in such a way that it seems to slip and default to something that's negative? Well, psychologists would tell you a whole number of things, but I think for me what it comes down to is the fact that the fall of mankind, of humanity, from sin, is that God made us, well, restored, perfect, but then sin was introduced after humanity chose it. And so then the brain worked, but maybe not as perfectly as it could and should have, like many things about our, our bodies and the actual planets itself. They can be corrupted through sin. And so what are those things that go around in your head? Are you someone who says, I'm going to fail? I'm not good enough. I'm boring. Nobody likes me. My boss doesn't value me. I'm worthless. You see, the reason I ask this question is it's so important that we understand what is going on in our head and what we speak to ourselves. Because we do, if we don't actually diagnose that there's a problem, we can't do anything about it. And there's a, um, an author and pastor called Dr. Paul Tripp. And he said this, he said, no one is more influential in your life than you because no one talks to you more than you do. So your voice is the voice you hear more than any other. And so your words have incredible power over the decisions of your life, over your day-to-day -day routine, over everything, your words have incredible power. You might be thinking, I'm not sure, James. They're only words. They're not, they're not that important. But they are. They have incredible power. And if you don't believe me, we can go to um, our perfect source of truth, the Bible. And in Romans 8, 6, Paul says, So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. 
but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. And so if anyone wants death and doesn't want life and peace, then you, you can leave now, in effect, because I'm going to try and tell you and show you how God has life and peace for us, not death. And so what I want to do today, in the next half an hour or so, is I want to identify um, possibly what area of negativity that you're most prone to fall back on. And I then want to share with you how the Bible teaches that we can not only fight against negativity, but we can defeat it through the Holy Spirit so that words of life reign over us. And so we're going to be spending most of our time in Psalm 103, which has been kind of where we've been doing this mini-series for the last three weeks. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll unpack Psalm 103 as we, we go on. So I'm just going to pray, Father God, I just pray that this psalm, such a, a powerful, wonderful psalm, as we unpack it, God, would you already be softening our hearts so that we're able to hear from you and receive your direction, that we're willing to be challenged by your words, and that we're then willing to take action so that we can be people who declare life and joy over our lives rather than the, the, the negativity of death. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, I just want to tell you in advance is all of this work and the message isn't mine, okay? When I prepare a message, I read books. I obviously read the Bible. That's where I start. I start with the Bible. I hear what God's saying, but then I'll read books. I'll listen to podcasts. I'll look online. And so the ideas of what I actually kind of deliver comes from a whole range of sources, okay? And one of my uh, favorite pastors who preach is a guy called Craig Rochelle, an American pastor. And so I just want to say that some of the themes that I'm teaching from are his, okay? Um, so I don't want you to think that I, and I'm sure you don't, that I'm the wisest person in the world, far from it. And the truth is, is there is always wiser people than us. And any truth that comes from the Bible is God's truth. So can I encourage you, get as much of that truth. Start with the Bible. If you're starting with anything other than the Bible, you're not on good foundations. Read the Bible, but sometimes we need interpretation. We need to understand it a bit more. And that's where God has, has given great pastors and theologians and authors the ability to write so that we can read their work and really be blessed. But again, it's their interpretation of Scripture, which is why we start with the Bible, and then we can supplement it with listening to wise Christians who can unpack it. So uh, I didn't want to uh, take all the credit for some of the things I've been reading, um, but um, I'd encourage you to do so as well. Read the Bible, but fill it out. Go and listen to some of the great podcasts and, and the books. But what I would say is, don't go too extreme. Don't just be reading about Revelation and, you know, um, the second coming. Do, but make sure that you are reading things as well that impacts on your daily walk with Jesus. Make sure that you read a varied amount of 
of, of, uh, of books rather than just focusing on one area. So anyway, I'll uh, continue. Now, according to experts, there are four main areas of negativity. Almost like picture them, four giant buckets that we seem to kind of draw from when it comes to negativity. And I want to talk about these four negative um, sort of buckets so that you can learn a little bit where are you possibly drawing some of your negativity from? Not so that you can then just feel miserable about that, but so we can take some action. Okay? So the first one is relational cynicism. And what's this? Well, cynicism basically is a general distrust for people and their motives. It's assuming that everyone's out for themselves. If someone does something good for you, you're thinking, what's their angle? What do they want from me? Nothing's ever free. So being a relational cynic means that anyone who comes to you who is displaying love and care and basically the fruits of the spirit, our first thought is there's something up here. And if you have that stance, then the truth is, is it's quite difficult to be around people who are always thinking, not sure about you. I'm not sure about them. So maybe that strikes a bell and you think, yeah, I'm, I'm quite a cynic when it comes to relationships. The second one is a negative filter. You see everything first through the eyes of what's wrong with it. You're overlooking what's good, you're overlooking what's right, and so you automatically assume is, this isn't going to be good, let me find out why it's not good. And so some examples of this might be um, your, your kids. They were supposed to be home um, at 4 p.m. You know, your, your spouse was picking them up, and it's 4.30. Where are they? Have they had a car crash? What's gone wrong? And actually, and this is often the case with Cathy's, no, we've just gone to Costa to get a hot chocolate, and I should have called. But the thing is, is if you always come back to that default of, we've had a car crash, what's happened to them? It's not founded in any reality. You can think that 20 times, but if they've never had a car crash and they keep coming back, then you need to realize that that's a negative filter you've got. Or maybe you send a message to your friend saying, you know, should we go out for a coffee? And you don't hear back from them for two hours. And you start to think, they don't like me. Have I done something wrong? What's, got, what's happened here? And actually, it's just the case of they turn the phone off. They've not got the phone on. And so we need to be aware that that would be a negative filter. Or maybe... You go on holiday, and I used to have this, and I've, I beat this, but I'd go on holiday, and I'd read TripAdvisor. I know what to expect. I'm making sure we're going to a good place, and then I, get, I used to get there, and I'd be like, ah, oh, swimming pool's not as good as I thought. And all of a sudden, I'm getting into a thing where I'm just like, oh, I was expecting, you know, better toiletries in the, you know, in the bathroom, as if it matters, but already... I'm on a holiday, and I'm like, oh, it's not good, this, is it? 
And so, maybe that's ringing a bell for you. Oh yeah, I do have a negative filter where I find out the bad and get so overwhelmed with the negative stuff that I never can focus on the positive. The third one is absolute thinking. And this is like a polarized thinking. It's all or nothing. It's black or white. And so, if a man hurts you, then all men are bad. If a woman lies to you, all women are liars. If you disagree with someone on an issue, then I need to cut them off completely because we don't agree on that issue, and as such, we can't be friends. And we're a lot more aware of that in today's society where even as a Christian, to actually have a firm belief, people can then say, well, I don't agree with you, and so as such, actually, I need to cut myself off from you because you're toxic. Not only is that a lie, but we need to be make sure as well that we're not just focused on one aspect and then as, if we don't like that, we just delete. This deleting or you know, blanking culture is just so ungodly. And so that comes to, as to absolute thinking. And most of it, it would be a lot easier if everything was black and everything was gray, uh, black and white, but most of life is in the middle. And the truth is, is with all the wonderful shades God's created, um, you know, life wouldn't be very rich if there was just a yes or a no. Pizza or broccoli. Well, maybe, maybe it would be pretty good if it was just pizza or broccoli. But, um, but we, we don't want to have absolute thinking. But maybe that's rung a bell for you and you're thinking, yeah, I really do go to the extremes. And then the fourth and final one is blaming. And this is where you may have a default where you think you're always the victim. Everything that happens in your life that's negative is someone else's fault. You didn't get the chance you should have got. You didn't get the opportunity at work because someone stole it from you. You're just a victim. And all the circumstances that come across you, you just think, none of this is my fault, it's someone else's. And I can say that that's a miserable place to be. That's a really miserable place to be because we want to, you know, sometimes you've got to take action over things that happen to you. Sometimes they're your fault, other times they're not. But if they're not your fault, you don't want to just be completely focused on what has been happened to you so that's a blaming culture. Now, can I encourage you, the Bible has a lot to say to combat these four approaches to negativity. And I'm sure there are other approaches, there are other buckets of negativity that we draw from, but the Bible gives us all the truth we need, like I said, not only to just combat, but to defeat these areas of negativity. But it's not that it's easy. It's not that we can just press a button that all of a sudden takes the default of negativity out of our lives. We've got to seek God, and we've got to build a discipline of actually putting God's word in our life rather than allowing possibly our default of being negative. And so what I want to do is look at Psalm 103. 
Now, Psalm 103 was written by David, and David wrote 73 of the, I think, 150 Psalms. And we think of David, and we think of, right, shepherd, poet, giant killer, king, ancestor of Jesus. In short, one of the greatest people who has ever lived in the Old Testament. But alongside those great things are some quite major flaws and sins. Betrayer, liar, adulterer, murderer. You see, the first list gives qualities that we all want. The second, however, gives us qualities that are quite often true of ourselves. Quite often true of ourselves. And so actually, it's really helpful having a character like David in the Bible because we can look at what they did. They had that highs, but they had a lot of lows. And, and the Bible doesn't make any attempt to kind of hide under the carpet his issues or any of the characters in the Bible. The Bible brings it front and center because it shows that we as humans struggle. We go through difficulties, and it's how we then deal with those difficulties that, well, show how we're walking with God. And so it's through knowing that David wrote a lot of these psalms out of failure and going through times where he was negative, where he was angry, where he was hurting, that it enables us to look at those. And so many of the psalms, I mean, some psalms are heavy. Some psalms are like, oh, my word, like, this guy's just really going through it. And who knows that we've all gone through those periods where we're like, this is horrible. This is absolutely horrible. And so when we look at some of these psalms, we can draw from what David learned and what he then dialogued through the psalms for us to draw from so that when difficult times come, which they always do, that we can respond in a way like David did. So, um, the first couple of verses says, Praise the Lord, I tell myself, with my whole heart I will praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, I tell myself, and never forget the good things he does for me. Now, like I said, what do you speak in your head? This is David saying, David, praise the Lord. James, Praise the Lord. Because again, that is something that we need to build a discipline for. Because when David's going through horrendous stuff and when we are, our first response default isn't, oh, we're just praising the Lord. We think, woe is me. I've got all these difficulties. But what David shows us, he had to say, hold on, David. You need to praise the Lord. You need to praise the Lord. And when he was saying, praise the Lord, what he, was in, he then did was he was able to receive all the love and support and encouragement from God. You see, when we go through those really difficult times, it's hard to praise God, isn't it? I've been to church services where when I've been really struggling and there's worship, and I'm thinking, I'm struggling to hold back the tears here, let alone wanting to actually praise. But actually, sometimes the very act of just being in church 
Is praise enough? Because God sees our hearts. I know when I've gone through the lowest point in my life where I was just broken. What I did was I just had um, an old kind of hymn as a, as a track, and I just played it on loop. And I cried and I cried, and I couldn't speak, but I was praising God. And there is something amazing where God gives peace that surpasses all understanding. It does not make sense what God gives us when we are at our lowest, but when we praise him, he just gives us grace. And so, in a room like this, there are going to be people in different stages. But for those of you who are really hurting and really struggle to worship, whether that be reading your Bible, whether that be praying, whether that be singing songs, or even turning up at church, can I encourage you, you're not alone. Everyone's been here. Everyone in the Bible's been there. And that's okay. Because what God wants from you is he sees your heart and all he wants you to do is just invite him in, to praise him. So if we carry on, the next few verses, it says, he forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. And then we come to verse 8, and he says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Now, most of you will have heard that verse before, won't you? It's a verse we hear a lot. But let me say one of the reasons why you hear it a lot is it's not just in the Bible one time. In fact, David, David says it numerous times. If we look at Psalm 86.15, David says, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Again, in Psalm 145.8, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. Now, it's not that David was, just wasn't very creative, that he just used this same verse, that the, this same line. But what it was, was that verse was written on his heart. And so, what he did was he would run over it again, and again, and again. The Lord is gracious. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's righteous. And when David says, I tell myself to praise the Lord, when he does that, he doesn't just say, well, I should praise the Lord and doesn't do anything. He then praises the Lord. And in this situation, like a lot of his psalms, he actually um, says those words. But the thing is, is those words aren't his. If we actually look in the, the verse before, um, in verse I think, 7, it said, He revealed the character of Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. And I was fascinated when I read. I was thinking, what, what's Moses got to do with, with any of this? 
But if we actually look at Exodus 34, 6, the words that David's saying are the words of God that he revealed to Moses. It says, The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. So here David isn't just saying something that he thinks good, he's saying something he know is good, knows is good because God said it. And so he says, praise the Lord, and then he reels off the scripture. God is slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. And so David had the word of God written on his heart. And so over and over again, he was able to encourage himself. Now, you probably all noticed on your seats, you've got a printout of Psalm 103. And if you've not on yours, there should be one close by. And so our first few verses are written in red, where it's talking about how we need to praise the Lord. And then the bits that are in green are a list of all the things that, um, that David writes about what we should be grateful for God. And the reason I've given you these is sometimes when we're at rock bottom and we've not got anything we can actually say to God, you know, if we look at circumstances, if you've just lost a loved one or you've lost your job or other really difficult things, there's not a great deal you can say, oh God, well, thanks for this in terms of the, the natural, the things that are in your life, because you feel like maybe everything's been taken away. But what we can do is we can go to Psalms like 103 and actually run through, well, actually, even though I've got all this going on, here's something I know that is true. I know that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. I know that he's slow to anger. I know that he's filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us. He won't remain angry forever. He does not punish our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. His unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. And a few verses on, the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. So life's fallen apart. You've lost a loved one who's died. And whilst they might not be in your life, whilst happiness and fun for a season may have been removed, what hasn't changed, what remains the same forever, is those things that the Lord is compassionate and he's loving. And so can I say, take these, and there's more if you want, to, more if you want them to put them elsewhere, but put them in your Bible. Stick them, you know, by your bed. Because you're going to need to go into the Psalms, into Scripture, to be reminded of, of that God is good. Because difficult things happen. 
It's great if you can memorize things like um, David did. We each have different abilities. I'm not great at remembering. As hard as I work, whereas Pastor Dave, straight in, it's fixed. So if you can have a great memory, great, you memorize. But if not, have this to hand so that you can go back through. So when we've read those things from Psalm 103, we feel refreshed. We feel restored. We feel encouraged. We feel lifted, don't we? We certainly don't read them and think, that's miserable. That's useless. That's, that's negative. No, we are lifted when we read those scriptures. And so we've looked at those kind of four buckets that we can draw from and what your character kind of, you know, where, where somehow a, a fault in your character kind of draws on that cynicism or the, the, the blaming thing. And what you need to do is spend a bit of time to actually go and seek God and say, God, where, where have I got some issues? You know, where, where am I drawing from? And once you've kind of got a sense of maybe what, what, what you kind of fit into, then you need to be aware of, right, well, what's actually the pipelines that are filling that bucket that you're drawing from? And there's many of these, but four ones that come straight to mind is the news. The news is miserable. Um, I've just, you know, I, when I took a retreat a month ago, I just didn't do anything on the news. I just felt so much better. And some people might say, well, if you don't follow the news, how do I know what's current? Well, if something's really important, you'll hear about it. But to open up, and I find myself, is to, you know, to start on going on, you know, not, not so much in the printed press, but like going online, you know, and if you went to BBC News to start your day, your day's already pretty miserable. Because in the press, there's a term that says, if it bleeds, it leads. And so actually, death and misery, maybe just because of our fallen nature, seem to be the thing that catch, capture attention. Whereas great news, wonderful things are happening, doesn't seem to get the headlines too much. But there are great things happening. But if we have the news constantly coming in, we're thinking, right, 90% is of the world and everything that happens that is rubbish and miserable, Maybe there's an occasional 10%, something's a bit happy. So if you are someone who is addicted to the news, then let God speak to you on that one. I'm not saying you have to switch off totally, but just be aware of what you're putting in. And particularly if, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's an open pipeline that's flowing fresh and steady to cut it off or to at least moderate it. Start off the day with praising God before you actually read the news. If the first thing you do is pick up the news and read BBC, then you're already on a back foot. Second thing is social media. Is this a negative pipeline that fills your life, that makes you feel left out, that makes you feel horrible and miserable inside? And I think we'll probably at some stage do a whole series of looking at more kind of what we're putting into our lives because social media can't be covered in, a, in two minutes. 
But can I just say, is if social media makes you feel miserable because your streams coming in are all negative, can I say, just, just stop it? The truth is, is life can be lived without Instagram and Facebook. But how do I keep in contact with my friends? Well, there is something called meeting in person. There is a phone. There is text. And I'm not saying become a technophobe and just pull out. But like, you know, on Facebook, on Instagram, if there are feeds, if there are people that, that speak, and every time you read them and think, oh, I'm rubbish, they're amazing, then you don't have to unfriend them, but unfollow them so it's not a feed that's coming in. The same with Instagram. Don't have feeds that are coming in of someone whose life is amazing, but really it's not, but have things that come in that are interesting. My Facebook, uh, the only thing I actually have coming in is often news stories I'm quite interested in. Um, and so I've got one that's ridiculous. It's called the Dodo, and what it is, it's about stories of animals being rescued or really cute stuff. And I'm like, it's garbage, but it, it just fills me with joy when you've got, you know, a, a little baby talking about a relationship he's got with a little cat, or somehow a puppy befriends, a, 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 you know, a pig, and they become best friends. It's just happy. It just, I, I read that, and I'm just like, I'm lifted. That's God's creation, rather than thinking, wow, they're off to Tenerife again. They're off to the Maldives. They've just got a new, you know, a Porsche. I can't ever have a Porsche. You know, limit what's coming in. Next one is YouTube. Can I say with YouTube, YouTube is a very dangerous thing that you can watch and you think, oh, this is good. But YouTube is based on an algorithm that you watch one thing and it feeds you more of that and more of that and more of that. And so before long, you are only being fed this algorithm. If, if you looked at my YouTube page and you looked at Paul's YouTube page, you'd find that mine's not all filled with cats and dogs, but my children particularly like that. So you'd be thinking, you know, everything in the world's just about happy kittens and dogs. But if someone else went on to one where they're focusing on, um, you know, I hate the Tory party. You know, the Tories are evil. They just get narrowed into this where there's never anything positive. You know, there's so many things, and that's how you can have the craziness of people believing that the earth is flat. Because they watch a video about a flat, flat earth theory, and all they then get is more and more and more. Their friends become flat earthers, and so all of a sudden, the earth is flat. Anyone who disagrees is stupid. Um, if you are a flat earth believer, it's not what we, this might not even be the, the kind of church that you feel settled in because we are not a flat earth believer. Um, but yeah, YouTube. You know, it can be good, it can be fun, but if you're someone who's filtering in negativity, then you need to come out off it. And so what I want to say is it's time for us to seal up those negative pipelines. Because if you, if you seal the pipeline, the bucket that it's filling, there's nothing to draw from. And so what I want to say to you is, are you, and I'll go through those four things again, are you a relational cynic? Do you look at everyone through the lens of, 
they're just going to trip me up. They're looking to steal from me. Do you have a negative filter where everything you look for the bad than the good? Are you an absolute thinker where it's black or white? You have to go to the extremes and as such push a lot of people away because it's difficult to be around you. Or are you just blaming everyone for everything that happens to you? See, what I want to encourage you to do is to take action here. And the great thing is, is the action required isn't in your own strength. There's some great videos that, I, again, I was looking on YouTube, and if you type in kind of um, discipline, there are some videos where you, you watch them and think, right, I'm ready to climb my Mount Everest. You know, you hear people who are just talking, you know, we need to be this and we need to be that. But actually, it all comes about to self-discipline. And if we're self-discipline, you know, when it comes to our self-discipline, not many people can climb Mount Everest. Because where does that start? It means just taking a local walk. It means running. It means spending years getting fit. And so what we do is we watch these inspirational videos, and I saw one that had over a billion hits. And the reason they have so many hits is you watch them and you think, I can achieve anything. And then you turn it off and you, you know, and instead of going for that run, you just turn on Netflix. And so what the world has to offer is it gives, tries to give motivation, but there's very little stickability because it's in your own strength. If you want to just say, I'm going to have a positive mindset and I'm going to read all these self-help books and I will change, I personally will change my outlook, that's all well and good until you get diagnosed with cancer. You see, the thing is, is all these videos online, they're amazing, but they don't show what that amazing person goes through when they get kicked hard. And this is the great thing about Scripture, is we don't need to rely on self-discipline, our own strength. We need to re rely on spiritual disciplines. And if we have spiritual disciplines that send us to God, then God will give us the grace and the strength to get through the difficulty we are going through. There's nothing wrong with, with a lot of the stuff where it talks about you know, developing your character and being more resilient and stuff. And the truth is, any truth is God's truth. But in anything that's not Christian, there's always a lot of lies and garbage with it. Whereas the Bible, Psalm 103, is pure truth, it's pure goodness. So let me read that verse from Romans 8, 6 again. But letting the Spirit control your minds leads to life and peace. We ask the Holy Spirit to change our minds. So I'm just going to ask as the, the band come up, what is it that needs to change within you? What's that bucket that you're filling up with a pipeline that you keep drawing from? The truth is, is it's very difficult to completely block up a pipeline, but we can certainly narrow it. We can put restrictions on what's coming in so that when we have our default bucket that we're drawing from, there's only a little bit in the bottom rather than a whole endless source of negativity. 
So let me pray as we move into a time of just reflecting and worship. Father God, I thank you so much that you are the source of all truth, all love, all joy, all peace, and all comfort. And God, we as your believers, we just want to draw from your endless well of life-giving water. God, would you help us to seal up or at least drastically reduce those pipelines of negativity that are coming into our lives, God? God, would you help us to address which bucket of negativity that we seem to default to draw back from? God, we know that there's some discipline and hard work from ourself, but God, by saying, I tell myself to praise the Lord, it's through praise that you, that you then hear our hearts and you work. So God, would you make us a people who praise you so that you do the work. You do the heart work. You do the heart work, and then we'll do the hard work that's attached with actually keep listening to you. But God, I pray that there won't be a sense that it's too hard. You don't ask us to do anything that's too hard, but you give us grace. So God, I just pray that you would pour down your grace upon your people. No matter what season they're in, a high, a low, or just middle ground, pour your grace upon us, God. Pour your grace upon us, God, so like David, we can just say, even in the tough times, I tell myself to praise the Lord, and that we then speak the truth of your word over our life. Amen. We're going to, um, we're going to sing um, 10,000 Reasons by Matt Redman, and this comes written from Psalm 103. 10,000 Reasons that I should praise the Lord.